You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. For hundreds of ideas, free experiments and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. And now, here's your host, Ben Newsom. Welcome again for another Physics Ed Podcast. Glad to have you no matter where you are around this world of ours. We are talking STEM and today we are focusing on the M in STEM. We're hanging out with Dr. Anarika De Silva, who is from the Centre for Epidemiology and Biostatistics from the University of Melbourne. She is a superstar of STEM from Science and Technology Australia and she is incredibly passionate about getting the next generation into STEM study and careers and hugely an advocate for gender diversity in this as well. She helps doctors find best treatments for patients. That's what she does. And she's led strong clinical and statistical collaborations in a whole bunch of teams from national and international institutes all over the place. She's all about statistical methods that helps health practitioners and this idea of mathematics making stuff happen is so important for our students to understand. So let's head into this chat. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. We're all about science, ed tech and more. To see 100 fun free experiments you can do with your class, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. And click 100 free experiments. Thanks, Ben, and thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very excited to be here and share my story with you today. I am excited as well because in behind this all, uh, I did do a biology degree a long time ago, which does involve a bucket load of statistics, turns out. <laughs> and this is something that you very much do in lots of different ways. So uh, i got to ask, how did you fall into mathematics as a whole? Like, why is this your thing? Okay, so maybe I'll go back a few yeah. years. <laughs> so I think I was fascinated with numbers since I was a little girl. And math was definitely my favorite subject in school. And I think I'm just thrilled that so many years later, I still get to do what I love every single day. And mm. I think there were many reasons why I got into math. And mainly, I feel like the beauty of mathematics is that it has applications everywhere. Yeah. And I love that I get to use maths and stats to help doctors discover the best treatments for patients. And it gives me a sense of purpose and it feels like I'm contributing to make society better. Oh, I mean, if you're dealing with medical things, absolutely you are. Uh, I mean, I often wonder what students um, think a mathematician does on a daily basis. Like, what does a day in the life of a mathematician work? I mean, do they, I wonder, do they conjure in images of you sort of sitting in front of a whiteboard, just pondering quietly out to the sunset or do you, or do you work with the, with data sets like what does it look like on an average day when you're working with the medicos to be able to help patients um, get better outcomes so right now i would call myself a clinical biostatistician mm -hmm. uh, i work at the methods and implementation support for clinical and health research hub or in short uh mish research hub mm -hmm. and at the university of melbourne so what we do is we work across different hospital partners, the Royal Melbourne Hospital, Austin Health, for example, and we work with some brilliant clinicians and we provide statistical support to their studies. And it can be a clinical trial, it can be an observational study. Mm. And um, I think there's this common misconception that as statisticians, we get involved uh, just to analyze the data. And you might mm -hmm. have heard this term crunching data yes. as well. 
but what we do is um, much more, we, we do much more than that. We get involved right from the uh, beginning of the study. For example, a clinician might come to us uh, with, a vague, with a vague idea about what they want to do. And uh, we would get involved uh, in the study design. And then we would uh, just get involved in the entire study process with them. And uh, yes, so that's, that's what my life looks like right now. So I get involved in all these very exciting studies. And uh, yes. That's so critical because, I mean, a lot of us have questions that we want answered. But if we go about, oh gosh, I can imagine spending six or seven years of a PhD or something to only realize that your experiment was flawed from the very start and you have to start again. <laughs> Yes, I think this is a really good point, Ben, because mm. as statisticians, we are very passionate about making sure that these studies are designed and mm. analyzed rigorously to yeah. make sure that we get robust results from these studies, because there's a lot of investment going into these studies. And uh, mainly, uh, these studies, they uh, contribute a significant amount of evidence to clinical guidelines and to routine patient care. So it's very important that uh, five years down the line, we don't realize, oh, we've designed this study incorrectly or we mm. haven't conducted this study accurately. So that's where we come in. And it's it's been amazing to uh, have these uh, strong collab collaborations with our clinicians. Which is good fun. I mean, that's what you're doing on a daily day basis to work. But I know you're doing a lot of education and the teaching side of it as well. How do you go about getting someone to go from a complete beginner, or at least like, I guess you're not really seeing complete beginners. You've got people who have got a bit of a, bit of a mathematics background, but getting to the point where they are career ready to be able to help the world. Okay. So as a part of my job, I provide, um, you know, training on these statistical methods to uh our clinical researchers who are now conducting these studies, but also to our future clinical researchers. Yeah. And that's where my teaching comes in. So I currently teach biostatistics for our Master of Public Health students at the University of Melbourne. And uh, this is actually uh, one of the largest core subjects for the Master of Public Health. This semester, I have around 350 students. All right. And I've been involved with this subject for the past eight years, first as a teaching associate and now as the subject coordinator. And I've taught students from all walks of life, uh, from different academic pathways and a large cohort of international students. And I think something that has been common and something that's really struck me is this aversion to learning maths and stats, because not mm. all of them, as you said, come from a strong maths and stats background and uh, many of these students actually a majority of these students haven't really chosen a career in maths and stats because they are master of public health students so they mainly have chosen a career maybe in epidemiology or in clinical research so we do have our work cut out for us because I uh, usually unfortunately um, I uh, have felt this with my students they speak with some amused self-deprecation saying that they're not good at math. And I'm sure you may have heard this, not just among students, but among adults as well, that uh, people are very quick to say that they're not good at math, even though it's such an important life skill. And um, students usually tell me that 
Um, Matzenstadt, it's boring, it's dry, it doesn't have a human component to it. And I believe them because when we first learn this subject, uh, we don't get to see real world applications of mm. Matzenstadt. And I think going back, um, even thinking about how I learned maths and stats, it was not really until my undergraduate year that I was really exposed to the real world applications of maths and stats. Uh, so I did my undergraduate studies at the University of Colombo in Sri Lanka. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure if you've ever visited Sri Lanka. No, it's I've not. A, it's a small country. It's a beautiful country in the Indian Ocean. So mm. that's where I did my undergraduate studies. And it was actually in my undergraduate research year, I was involved um, with a team which developed a 3D vessel traffic monitoring system for the Colombo South Harbor. And as the statistician, I was um, given the responsibility of getting the minimum number of features needed to sort of distinctly identify different types of vessels. Uh, then I gave it to a computer scientists who really nicely mapped it in the 3D system. But this was the first time I got to see maths and stats being used to solve a real world problem. Mm. And it really opened my eyes into like the vast applications of mathematics. And I think for me, there was no looking back after this point. And that's when I seriously considered having a career in applied maths and stats. And also it showed me, I always loved numbers, true, but it also showed me how important it was to see the real world applications of something. And I think this is something that I also follow with my students as well. And because I, I understand, as I said before, when they learn this for the first time in school, not many people get to see the real world application, uh, applications of this subject. And I think this is why perhaps as kids, we are fascinated about maybe marine biologists or paleontologists but maybe not so much about statisticians, even though statistics uh, is needed to solve many of the real world problems. At least for me personally, I have a very hard time convincing my little nephew that I do a very cool job. He doesn't believe it. Oh, I mean, it was applicable across and beyond biology too. I mean, the it's eventually handling large sets of data with question marks around it. I mean, that seems to move. It's a little bit fuzzy in some ways. I mean, I'm describing it in a weird way, but I mean, I'm just actually thinking from my end, uh, in, in my undergraduate years, my very first subject I did was a standard statistics 101 type subject. And I got through it, didn't really do spectacularly well. But the following, sub following subject, I suddenly the penny dropped. <laughs> like, it's really well. And went from like, you know, a P slash credit student to HD in one area in the statistics area, because I suddenly understood how this would work in biology. And of course, I was doing a biology degree, actually got it thoroughly. Uh, it's funny how when you if I look back at the introductory subject and the following one, there was a common thread there, but I was missing it very no, clearly. No, I agree with you, Ben. Mm. And I think this is the connection we try to make with our students as well. Because as I said, my subject is a mandatory subject. Mm. So uh, many of my students, whenever, like when we start, especially during the first few weeks, tell me that um, they only do my subject because it's mandatory, even though I know later in their careers, even if they have chosen a career in epidemiology or clinical research, Statistics is going to be a crucial part in their career. Yeah. I know That's it's mandatory. Be... <laughs> yes, I know it's going to be a real value addition. Yeah. But 
especially in those first few weeks, they only do it because it's mandatory. But what we try to do is we try to bring those real world examples into the classroom. Um, our teaching team, many of us are involved uh, across a lot of clinical studies. So mm -hmm. whenever we teach, we bring our own examples into the classroom. And the students really love to listen to these examples because they can place whatever they learn, the theoretical concepts, and they can see how it's used in practice. And another thing we like to do is we like to use published examples especially from, let's say, high impact factor journals like the New England Journal of Medicine or the Lancet, mm -hmm. and also examples being used in the media so that they can see, oh, yes, I'm learning an introductory uh, biostatistics subject, but I can use these concepts to now uh, read a journal article which is published and get some information out of this. And I think this has served us really well and the students are now very excited about the subject. For example, especially during the pandemic, we try to incorporate examples, we try to use examples about COVID-19 studies into our modules. And uh, the students found it extremely interesting to see how, that, how something that they're learning now, even though it might be very introductory, very basic, they can still use these concepts to uh, interpret something that's very timely, very relevant to uh, what's been happening in society or in public health. And fast moving in that case. Exactly. <laughs> yes, because there was a there was a huge interest in mm. uh, public health, and we also saw uh, an increase, a massive increase in student numbers in our master of public health as well during oh, pandemic times. Yes, it was. It's really good to see that students are really interested in improving public health. And, uh, but yes, so it's important to get them excited about biostatistics as well. Well, one of the things that you're doing is helping people get excited about STEM in general, because I know that you're involved in the Superstars of STEM program. I know it's only the start of the program for now, but what's it been like? So I think this is a terrific program, Ben, and mm. I'm very glad I need to mention my supervisor, Professor, uh, Associate Professor Karen Lamb, who, who was the one who sort of uh, pushed me or encouraged me into applying for this. And uh, it has been a terrific program so far. I, as you said, I just been, I just started it in January and it's a terrific program, which is um uh, it's an initiative by Science and Technology Australia, and it's there to smash gender assumptions on mm. who can work in STEM. And I think uh, growing up, I was constantly told that mathematics is not for women. And that was one thing that really motivated me into getting into maths. And I'm very lucky to have uh, very encouraging parents, mm. true, but I found maths to be a very empowering tool. Yeah. So I, th I find this program quite empowering and quite useful. And it has taught me in this very short period to share my story and also make my science accessible. And I think as STEM professionals, we, uh, on a daily basis, we work a lot with our own colleagues, with clinicians, but we need to think about making science accessible to a broader community as well. And mm. that's the message the Superstars of STEM is trying to spread and also make people, especially young people, excited about STEM and STEM careers. And I think I've had the privilege of having um, very strong role models in life um, since a young age, but that established the importance of having visible role models to me. And again, 
that's something the superstars of STEM is trying to do, have those visible role models for the young generation uh, growing up. So I think it has been an amazing experience so far. Um, I got to meet the brilliant some of the brilliant group of superstars of STEM uh, last week because I attended Science Meets Parliament. Uh, and I think uh, having migrated to Australia just eight years ago, just just going into Parliament House was such yeah, a wow. feeling. And mm. uh, it was amazing to meet everyone from across Australia just doing amazing science. And um, just listening to Dr. Kathy Foley, our Australia's chief scientist. And I also had the privilege of meeting uh, Honorable Dr. Andrew Lee, Assistant Minister, and just talk about the importance of statistical com uh, communication in the broader community. So all in, uh, it, overall, it has been an amazing experience so far. I'm just looking forward to the other activities. I have a few school visits planned. And I think even this podcast, Ben, like, was an opportunity that was facilitated uh, through Superstars of STEM. So I'm very grateful to be a part of the program. Oh, for sure. And I'm actually curious. So you've got some um, visits to come up with some schools. Schools are an interesting base because the students, you don't know where they're coming from until they're in front of you <laughs> when you come to visit. I mean, as an outreach person, I very much know this. What are your plans? How, so what age group are you working with? What grades? So at the moment, we are planning for secondary schools, yep. uh, but it can vary based on the school uh, that we are working with. And uh, sometimes teachers might have requests to uh, aim for grades 9 to 10 or 7 to 8. It, it depends on mm. some schools might have events, specific events aimed at different grades. And yeah, so I'm just excited to be a part of this school visits because one thing is... Uh, as I said, I'm originally from Sri Lanka, so yeah. I haven't been, I ha I haven't gone through this school system. So I'm very excited to see and be a part of um, this program, just to see how how uh, the school system looks like, and to get some, you know, uh, school kids excited about STEM and uh, being in STEM. Oh, for sure. And I think about, I mean, if you're listening as a teacher about, you know, getting kids inside of mathematics, a lot of you actually work deeply in this. I mean, numeracy is a thing. I think about some of the fun observance days, for example, International Pi Day is one that comes to mind straight away. Or seeing, especially as, a, as I'm speaking with a statistician, maybe Pi Approximation Day, <laughs> because it's looking around the other way. But these are fun days to at least get kids involved in. But I was just thinking about what you mentioned a little while ago about um, this thing. And I see my kids do it. I see my friends do it. I'm not good at math. So it's such an easy throwaway line. And I kind of think about what if we flip that uh, and imagine that you're talking with your friends or with your kids or your relatives or someone. And they didn't say, I'm not good at maths. They said, I'm not good at reading or I'm not good at art or I'm not good at X, Y, Z. You don't hear that so much. I mean, they, I mean, in, in fact, for some people, there might even be a stigma against saying I can't read or whatever. And then, I mean, obviously, that's, it's very debilitating for a person who can't read. And yet, if they're having trouble with numbers, no one's got any trouble saying that. In fact, it's almost as a camaraderie thing. And we all sort of shake hands. We put a hand in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't understand it. Yeah, I don't understand maths. Either. We all have a bit of a laugh. And we move on. And yet it's a fundamental part of our lives. This is a real hard thing to get past. Yes, I agree, Beth. And I think this is this is the main issue because we wouldn't say that no. uh, I'm bad at reading. We wouldn't, but we we hear this phrase, I'm bad at math. And even sometimes um, we hear speakers who come to school use it as a phrase to bond with kids. Yes. I mean, 
you know, I was bad at math when I was in school. I'm still bad at math, but that that doesn't give out a good message because it normalizes the fact. It makes it okay. Yes, exactly. Because as I said before, math is such an important life skill to have. And I'm not saying you need to do a PhD in mathematics. Uh, and I think um, uh, working with my students, what I've realized is that their attitude, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Mm. And it's made me realize that there is a much more broader issue in the community, a real antipathy towards maths and stats, which affects um people's interaction with evidence-based research and related public policies. And I think a good example was uh, the pandemic years. We saw yeah. that a significant amount of people really struggled to actively and accurately engage with pandemic-related data. And yeah. I'm not just talking about vaccinations or lockdowns or masks. I'm also talking about the people's lack of willingness to understand the pandemic itself yeah. even to the point that there were too many people for comfort who believed that the pandemic was a hoax yep. and I think this misinterpretation or the misunderstanding of data led to a lot of resentment hostility and it created a lot of division especially when social unity was quite important and I think it's very important that uh, you know people have the ability to make informed decisions and not yeah. just during the pandemic. It applies to other issues which have, you know, uh, a lot of uh, social community and global impact. It can be policies on climate change, migration or other cultural changes. So to make these informed decisions, it's important that people understand evidence. And I think one of the biggest frameworks of understanding evidence is to understand and engage with data. Yes. But the more you dislike it, the more you have a fear towards it, the less likely you're going to accurately engage with data. Well, even understanding, um, and then, yes, during the COVID years, we suddenly understood that there was this thing called this R0. <laughs> no, what is this number? And now we suddenly really understood it. Uh, but I think about this thing statistically relevant and it means something to a STEM professional because we're kind of, we're, we're exposed to this world, but the average punter isn't. And so, it can be an issue when we're making decisions or making um, or maybe life choices around particular sets of data. Oh, so-and-so said this and they've been reading studies. If you actually look at their studies, it could only be like five people <laughs> were checked. And that's not a great cohort <laughs> for, for, for a data set. And people make these solid groundings based on flawed assumptions it's difficult yeah yes i agree and i think this is the important part where we need to bring more awareness about understanding data understanding evidence-based research because we see this sometimes in the media as well mm. uh, sometimes being using one study and sensationalizing just one finding and uh, that can be misinterpreted. And yeah. I think we have a broader message that we need to spread. And definitely, I, I understand the best place to raise awareness is school. And I appreciate that there are some fantastic initiatives uh, at the moment, some government-led initiatives uh, focusing on uh, STEM education, uh, such as uh, Curious Minds, STEM professionals in school, and science by doing those are just some examples, but there are some other fantastic initiatives as well. And also university-led initiatives, industry-led initiatives. I know many of the universities in Australia, they do a lot of outreach with schools. 
uh, but also we need to take this message to the broader community. We see in other countries, for example, let's say BBC, they have a resident statistician. Yeah. Uh, what they're trying to do is make st statistics part of people's life. So having statisticians in media makes statistics part of people's life. They are trying to make people more aware about thinking with data. And I think that's how we can raise awareness about this, because I, I often feel that raising awareness about a disease such as heart disease, cancer, it's relatively easy because people can relate to it because you might know someone who's going through the disease uh, or you might be going through the disease. So people are more keen to learn about this and funding organizations are more keen to fund awareness programs based on these diseases. But raising awareness about understanding data or evidence-based research might, you know, it might sound a bit irrelevant or it might not, uh, it might be a bit difficult. Uh, so, but we still need to spread this message. And I think that's where programs like the Superstars of STEM is quite important. A hundred percent. I was actually thinking about ways of normalizing mathematics. There's a bloke who's been going around for many, many years. I have it's been ages since I've run into him. Uh, he, I don't know if you've run into him. He's Simon Pampina, who does these maths comedy. Seriously, this is a thing. It's a stand-up comedy using mathematics. And I remember actually going through, uh, he did a piece on uh, why Australia really wins the Olympics. So sorry, anyone overseas, but Australia, according to numbers, Australia really wins the Olympics. If you really play with the, the numbers in different ways, you can mess with you can mess with numbers and you can actually make it funny. Now, I'm not doing a great job of it because I'm not Simon Pampino who does this work really well and I'm thinking off the fly, but you can play with maths and make it normal. If you can do a stand-up comedy routine, to a general audience using mathematics that shows that people can connect with data. It's just the way you do it. Yes, exactly. And I think, Ben, you're, uh, you're selling yourself short here because I think uh, this podcast is quite useful to the people as well. And there are some other amazing podcasts as well, like the Random Sample podcast or the Stats Plus Stories podcast. And there are also other um uh, blog posts and stories, for example, Sir David Spiegelhalter has been doing uh, a series of stories on understanding risk aimed at the general community. And I think these are ways we can really connect with the general community who might have this aversion towards maths and stats and get them really excited about these concepts. And yes, definitely, this is one of the podcasts that is doing a really good job, Ben. Aww. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And uh, I feel like I should uh, yeah, get the check in the mail or something. <laughs> so, but, uh, but, uh, thank, thanks very much. So we're, try, we're trying to do what we can to get people to know that there are lots of initiatives out there. And that actually brings up the point. You are involved in initiatives, not just superstars of STEM. You do the work with your 350 uh, masters of students and you're going out to schools. And so I guess the question is, as you go out to the schools, if you get a moment to actually speak with the teachers directly, just say you had all the teachers in the room for a moment and you're going to get a message out or at least some advice out to those teachers to increase numeracy interest, not just levels and abilities to pass a grade, but frankly, interest. Uh, what would be what would be some advice that you give them? I would definitely, um, I mean, the teachers know their students best. And whenever I go to these schools, uh, I first uh, ask the two teachers for their advice as well, what they think would be best and most appropriate for the students. And I think it's a working collaboration with, with the teachers. Uh, I think one of my recommendations or suggestions would be to bring in real world 
applications or examples to the classroom. And this is why something like a collaboration with another STEM professional outside of school is quite helpful because they can give you these real world applications or real world examples. And I've seen how excited students uh, students uh, become when they see these real world applications. And yes, as a statistician, it's very hard to get students uh, excited about statistics. For example, if I'm if I go to a school with my colleagues who do something like climate change or who are involved in brain cancer or something like, as I said, a marine biologist, um, statistics, even though statistics is used in all of these areas, uh, it's a little bit hard to get students excited about maths and stats, but it's the important part is to show that maths and stats is being used in all of these areas, in all of these real world applications. And I think to get those STEM professionals in your classroom, it's quite mm. important because then the students can see oh, I can have a career in this area because that's something that the students have told me. I never saw myself having a career in maths. I never saw myself uh, becoming a statistician because I never had role models growing up who were mathematicians or uh, statisticians. So I think it's really important to get those visible role models in your classroom and get those real world examples into your oh, classroom as well. For sure. And as you introduce these uh, STEM professionals into your classroom, get them to talk about how they're using their mathematics in different ways. I challenge you, absolutely challenge you to find a STEM professional who does not use mathematics. I don't care who you're listening to. I mean, I was listening to an ABC radio thing on a yesterday afternoon with um, Jody Rowley, who does the uh, Frog ID app, which is this great citizen science app where they're up to their possible, uh, they're, they're about to uh, crack their millionth, million, one, yeah, one million, one millionth uh, frog sound that's been submitted by citizens. And someone's got to crunch 1 million data points. Like <laughs> someone's got to do it and they've got to work on what's bad and what's good. It's always mathematics somewhere. And so um, it's actually important to not just talk about, uh, hey, I'm a marine biologist and I get to dive on the reef and look at various different, different damselfish. But guess what? The data has to be put in as well because otherwise you don't get to submit into those journals like the Lancet and other things that you've talked about. It's just how it is. And yes. uh, it backs up your evidence. It's your evidence base. Yes, I agree. And I think this is what the students need to see that for everything that you do, that you want to do, all these exciting careers, you need maths and stats. And so uh, you need to be able to sort of break that barrier because I often feel that students develop this fear in school uh, towards maths and they carry that over uh, to university, then they carry that over to their adulthood as well. So we need to sort of break that stigma uh, while they're in school. And I think bringing those STEM professionals into school, bringing those real world examples into school uh, is a really good uh, strategy. That's right. So I'll use a term. Let's normalize this uh, yes. discussion. <laughs> dear, dear, mass partner towards the end. Look, hey, thank you very much for uh, coming on in. Now, there'll be pe people who would love to know where to go to learn more about the work that you're doing. Uh, where would they need to head off to? Uh, so uh, I think a few different uh, mediums. I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is uh, at Amerika de Selva. But also, as I said, I'm from Mish Research Hub. So we have our website. So if they just search for Mish Uni Melb, um, they can look at all the amazing that work that we are doing with our clinicians uh, there. 
And also if they want to get my contact details, if they search for Anurika De Silva at Unimelb, my email address, and I'm on LinkedIn as Anurika De Silva as well, they can contact me there as well. Thank you so much, Anurika, for uh, joining me for this bit of a chat. So, and well, well done. Also, um, getting into the Superstars of STEM program, and undoubtedly, that's a fantastic uh, another launch pad. It's not like you're you're involved in one; you're involved in several. Another way to get out your love of mathematics that you grew so long ago. Oh, thank you so much, Ben. This has been lovely, and it was um, yeah, it was a great experience uh, for me as well. And I think I can, I think I've told you this before. This was my first podcast. I hope oh, yeah. I did well. You did well. It's, and uh, it's funny how, um, and that's actually important, and then people listening in too, your first does, can always be the start of many <laughs> as well. I hope, I hope, uh, I hope that's true. And uh, yes, I think if uh, anyone takes away uh, one message from this, I hope it would be never to say that I'm bad at math again. Yeah. That's a no-no. Exactly right. Thank you so much, Anarika. Have a Thank fantastic you so morning. Much, ben. You too. Have a lovely day. We hope you've been enjoying the Physics Ed podcast. We love making science make sense. Why don't you book us for a science show or workshop in your school? If you're outside of Australia, you can connect with us via a virtual excursion. See our website for more. So I hope you enjoyed that chat with Dr. Anarika De Silva. What an amazing way to make mathematics sing as a clinical biostatistician. And understanding that this is a role for students to go into is so very important. I love her work as a superstar of STEM too with Science and Technology Australia. And if you want to find a little bit more, head on over to the University of Melbourne's website where you'll be able to find out more and more of her work. And as usual, we put those links into the show notes. So again, we have more people coming up on the Physics Ed podcast. I hope you're enjoying this and definitely recommend going through the back catalogue. There's many, many people who love teaching STEM in many different ways. So enough of this today. More coming up. So you've been listening to me, Ben Newsom from Physics Education. This is the Physics Ed Podcast, and I hope to catch you another time. You've been listening to another Physics Ed Podcast. We're excited about science. Subscribe to us on iTunes to download the next episode as soon as it's released. And don't forget, for hundreds of ideas, free experiments, our new Be Amazing book, and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au